Welcome to Change the Narrative. I'm your host, J.D. Fuller. I'm Susie Younger. An African-American licensed psychotherapist. I'm also a licensed therapist. We talk about the isms. We talk about the phobias. Anything that marginalizes and oppresses. As a white woman, I ask the questions white people are too afraid to ask. Everything we are not and everything we are is because of fear. Through a mental health lens, Susie and I will have difficult conversations with celebrity guests, political activists, and everyone in between. Our mind will tell us whatever we want to believe, but the truth lives in the body, and that's where change occurs. Are you ready to change the narrative? Imagine meeting your soulmate, your partner, and ultimately your husband during the pandemic. Our next guest, Sharda Coleman, did just that. Now imagine that you've never been able to meet, touch, or see him. This is our next guest's experience. Why? Star-crossed lovers, her husband has been serving time for a crime he claims he didn't commit and is serving time in an Alabama prison. She has committed her life to getting his story out by using her voice everywhere to free Leonard Coleman. In addition to being committed to finding justice for her husband, she is committed to motherhood, her career, and spirituality. Welcome. So nice to have you. Let me unmute. Thank you so much for the opportunity and the platform. Much appreciated. Happy to be here. Excellent. So tell the audience who you are. What do you want people to know about who you are, most importantly? Well, I think like most humans, I am many things. So I don't know that I could sum that up, you know, nutshell it. But I am a mother. I am a wife. I am a director of HR. I am a fellow human to humanity trying to do my part by helping my husband. I am hopefully well-educated. I hold a master's in marriage and family counseling. And so I'm a lifetime learner. So yes, I am every woman. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. That's great. So what are the qualities you saw in your husband that made you fall in love with him? I would say the thing that was most striking to me was the way that his mind works and the level of consciousness on which he lives. He himself is very spiritual and he also sees life for more than just what meets the eye. I appreciate people that are not just existing every day, but they see the deeper meaning in different events in life itself. Also, he's very brilliant. And so I started to fall in love with his mind and we also started out as friends. I truly enjoyed very long conversations with him about life and really his company. And so that's what really sparked an interest where I wanted to pursue a relationship with him. Mm-hmm. And so why do you believe your husband's been wrongfully convicted? So after studying the 1100 pages of his transcript mm-hmm. and studying the history of this district attorney that was connected with his prosecution and wrongful conviction, I began to feel that things were awry. And as you know, because you are both very studied and well-educated people yourselves, that, you know, when you go through school, you have to do a lot of research and writing and research and writing. And so this was really no different. It was just applying those skills to a different situation. So there was a lot of research. And as you see on my social media, writing that's gone into Leonard's advocacy. And I said, things are just not adding up here. First of all, There are no ballistics matches tying this man to the crime, and there was trial testimony of that. There are no fingerprints linking this man to the crime, and there was trial testimony of that. There were no witnesses to the crime other than a four-year-old with echolalia, which is on the autism spectrum, 
which likely caused him to just repeat whatever authorities were asking him, and he never testified in court. Even the judge at the end of Leonard's trial said that he noted errors, but he was just going to zip up his lip. There was neighbor testimony at trial that Leonard was at home for three hours during the time that the crime window occurred. And so I also later on found there are five other men due to internet research that I did that are also claiming wrongful conviction out of the Mobile County Circuit Court. I later on found out that Ashley Rich, which is the prosecutor who wrongfully convicted him, was named as an outlier for death penalty cases by a Harvard report. So there are so many sketchy things surrounding this that I just felt that the evidence shows in black and white that he is wrongfully convicted. In addition to his character, the fact that he was also TSA background approved with no prior convictions, it just to me was very evident something was wrong with this conviction. So was he convicted alone in this case? Yes, there were no co-defendants. Yep. And is he in for a life sentence? He received a life sentence with the possibility of parole in 2026. Unfortunately, he's in a state that's not really paroling people, but technically his sentence is life with the possibility of parole. Wow. That's crazy that they have so many errors in one district like that and it hasn't been flagged. That seems unbelievable, but definitely in line with the injustice system. So what have you learned about the injustice system up close and personal on this journey? It is just very ugly. Like you study certain things like how African-American males are treated as compared to other races, even within that category even lighter skin black males are treated differently than darker skin black males. And just looking at recent events like the Kyle Rittenhouse trial and how the white race is treated much differently than people of color, it's all just very disturbing to me. And I'm actually so bothered by it that I would like to move into doing this as a career if I could get you know, a position with an organization like Color of Change, Southern Poverty Law Center, ACLU, et cetera, I would love to just dedicate my professional skills to it because I see this as being such a problem overall, overarching in our society. Would you say you knew this before you met your husband? Absolutely not. Every time I answer this question, I say, I actually believed that our justice system worked the way that it is supposed to before I met my husband. Wow. So this has been more than an eye-opening for you. Wow. 100%. That's pretty amazing. And so I'm just going to assume that you haven't had any connection with the justice system prior, if that was your belief system, right? You hadn't had any... Well, I will say that, and this is well known to people that know me, when I was very, very young in 2003, so that's got to be, what, at least a couple of decades almost, I was in a domestic violence situation for years and chose to defend myself. And because of that being a victim of domestic violence and choosing to defend my life, I ended up with a conviction for defending myself. Now, this was adjudication withheld, and it was a misdemeanor that no longer shows up on my record, but I'm thinking, you know, that was my first introduction into something is wrong here, you know, because the justice system sometimes hurts people who are actually innocent. Wow, that's amazing. And yet you still believed in it in spite of that until you had this eye-opening experience. Wow, that's pretty... That's mind blowing. So what do you think the qualities are that you possess that help you cope with loving someone who's in the prison industrial complex? 
I don't know that I could do it if I didn't have an independent life of my own outside of Leonard. So, you know, I have been working my way to the top of my career for 23 years. And I also am a single mother of two teenage boys. I'm involved with, you know, church and like, for example, on Sunday, my boys and I participated in a volunteer event that my coworkers were participating in. And I just have an active life with positive things. I like to go to the gym, et cetera. So, you know, I'm not one of those people that's like sitting at home and hoping that he calls. I love him and I enjoy his presence in my life just having a life of my own has helped me to deal with all of this. Okay. And what are the not so obvious challenges of being married to someone who is convicted? (laughs) There's a lot because, you know, I have a very high level job and that comes with a lot of pressure and a lot of days that I have to work. He is in a very high pressure situation being that he is in an aggressive, dangerous, overcrowded prison system. The Mm. United States Department of Justice is suing Alabama for its prison conditions. So he's under a lot of pressure. He's fighting a wrongful conviction. So, you know, we don't have those outlets to like, let's go on a date, let's hold hands, let's be affectionate, spend time together. And, you know, we don't have outlets except to talk things through. And so it's very hard to like comfort each other from a distance. So yeah, the distance is definitely difficult. Are you able to visit him? And how often, if so? So visitation was shut down in Alabama in March of 2020. We met September of 2020 virtually. And then visitation just opened up on December the 4th, but only for one hour at a time, as opposed to the previous four hours. So I believe I will get to see him in January, even if only for an hour. He's just waiting as it gets closer to get me on the schedule. So... Wow. Okay. So you said that you've had two boys, teenage boys, two children. What has it been like to manage this reality with them? They're actually pretty upset about what he's going through. We see it as a human rights violation. Mm -hmm. And so I cite at the bottom of my change.org petition, my 16 year old said, we were in the car, I was bringing him home from martial arts one evening. He's like, it's just not fair. All these years of Leonard's life have been taken and stolen. And You know, this is coming from my teenager who doesn't necessarily know any better. And so they speak to him on video and they have their own relationship and he chit chats with them about current news events, et cetera. And they're pretty upset about his situation as well. And I've used it as a teaching tool that these things actually happen present day in our society. So So how many years has he done so far? He started his incarceration as far as like, and I think he was in county before the trial, let's say a decade, because his official conviction and incarceration started on January 5th of 2012. So we're just coming up on a decade now. And since you've met, he's been able to establish a relationship with the boys and they kind of have their own thing. So this is a family system for all people to understand. Like you've created something here that is a family. Yes. And as his children and I speak to them on Instagram and whatnot. So yes, for sure. Okay. So do you have the support of family and friends? No, that's a loaded question. So because of the level of where I'm at in my career, the position I have, the company I work for, I pretty much have to live a double life. But I did come out to my mom when we got officially married because my last name was going to change and my mail goes to her house. So I didn't want her to find out in a way that was hurtful, like, or deceptive. 
So I sat down in January when I filed the marriage license and had a candid conversation with her. So she knows I have a couple of cousins that know a couple of coworkers that know, but other than that, I pretty much have to live a double life to not put my career in jeopardy. As you're getting out there and you're kind of making the story known, are you concerned that the lines are going to start to blur? I wasn't in the beginning until I started having a lot of success with his campaign. Yeah. And usually I don't put photos of myself on my Instagram page unless it's to my story, which disappears in 24 hours. I don't use my full name. I've tried to kind of like fly under the radar as much as I can. Mm. I understand that you're doing another podcast. You've done one before this. You're going to start. <laughs> yes, it's, <laughs> it's happening. Not... Yeah. <laughs> it's happening. So I just want to put that out there that it's happening. No, yes, but you know, it's the right thing to do. I okay. feel like if I would have turned my head away from this situation, it would have been the wrong thing to do. And I feel like when you do the right thing, then good things follow you. So I believe it's all going to turn out all right. Okay. I like that. I think that's a good message to send. So aside from getting your story out there, what do you want people to know about your husband, about you, your marriage? Because I know there's a lot of assumptions that people might have. So what what would you like to tell people? What do you think it's important for them to know? Well, you know, I don't focus too much on the opinions of others. I know like with prison relationships in general, there's like a perception that it's a certain type of woman that would go for a man in prison. I would never in my life do this with anyone else. I have never dated anyone in prison. I didn't know Leonard was in prison when we met because we met on a regular dating app because he had access to a cell phone at that time. I am definitely not desperate because I have a lot going for me where I could have anyone that I wanted. And I'm very well educated and at the top of my career, you know, I own my own home. I'm an executive level in my position. And so whatever stereotypes are out there that a certain type of woman would go for this type of a man is there's always an anomaly. I believe that I am and that we are. Leonard also had no prior convictions before this happened. So he is a wonderful human being. He was a single father like I said, he had a TSA background check, which I have posted to our Instagram to prove to people, you know, he passed a national background check. So I'm doing this with him, this journey, because he's a wonderful human being. I'm not necessarily attracted to this lifestyle. I didn't ask for this. I just made a decision to help a good human being. So. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that's helpful to answer that question. I think people need to hear your perspective because people do make assumptions and they made a television show around it. So clearly there's a provocative aspect of it that the media loves to grab onto. So I think it's important that your perspective. So I want to let Susie has any additional questions before I ask you our final question, Suze, any, I do. First of all, thank you. And also I'm sorry, this sucks. I can't imagine what this feels like. And, you know, JD and I are both therapists and you have a background in this. So I'm wondering how you manage your own mental health. Not well lately because my life has gotten so busy as the advocacy efforts for him have grown. I've gotten more contacts. His case is getting more attention. It's almost become like a part-time job. And then I also have a very demanding full-time job and a 45-minute commute each way. Sometimes I work six, seven days a week. And then I have my children that I'm very hands-on with my boys. 
and involved in their lives. So I've been exhausted mentally and physically, and I also have fibromyalgia. So been tough. I think that I draw a lot of strength from my relationship with God and just prayer and worship. And when I need to cry, I cry. I'm honest about my feelings. You know, I don't pretend that everything is okay. Like if I'm having a bad day, I talk to Leonard, I'm open with him, vice versa. We tell each other what we're going through and just kind of get it off our chest. You know, if I need therapy, I know that I'm going to seek therapy. I'm very blessed to work very close to the University of Central Florida. Their community counseling clinic offers free counseling from the graduate students. I have an EAP program through my job where I could get free counseling sessions. So if I really felt I needed it, I would support my own mental health with counseling. But mostly right now, it's just through openness, communication, and my spiritual relationship. So... I'm glad you have that resource and I hope you do use it if you feel like it's getting to be Mm -hmm. too much because it's a lot. I mean, what you're doing is it's a lot. Mm -hmm. It's like the only word that comes to mind, unfortunately. Good. Susie, did you have another question? I did. And it literally just escaped me. So hold Oh, I know what I was going to say. So he previously, he had been 10 years incarcerated. Then you came into his life and I'm a little curious about, so you met him, you fall in love. You haven't met him in person. You haven't been able to touch his lips or kiss his cheek, right? And yet you took it upon yourself to really be an advocate for his life. What did that look like in the beginning? Because this is someone that you actually, I know you know him through different means than the conventional getting to know and trust someone. So what was it for you where you were like, I trust this, I believe in this story and I'm going to advocate for it? It's a wonderful question, a very good one that I was asked maybe a couple of weeks ago. So in the beginning, it was mostly just like conversations and becoming more and more best friends and getting to know each other. We still speak four to six hours a day. But the moment where things like made a pivot for me, where I was like, maybe I want to get involved in trying to use my professional skills to help advocate for him was when one of them was when I spoke to his licensed investigator who was taking the statements from these gentlemen about his innocence so that we could have them officially recorded and file them through the court to try to file a rule 32 and get him home. Just speaking to her and how passionate she was about the fact that these men who are not even friends of his, who don't even really like him and they don't even run in the same circle are really like adamant that they want to help him get free because they believe it's the right thing to do because the perpetrator made a full confession to them. And just hearing the licensed investigator relay all this while I was on a phone call with Leonard, I'm like, wow, there's facts behind this. You know, I had felt in my gut he wasn't the type of person who could really pull this off. But it's like, wow, now it's being confirmed by witnesses, licensed investigator. So that was like a big push forward. But the real impetus for me was when we actually filed the evidence with Mobile County Circuit Court in April, because the only thing that went through my mind was like, if I don't shine a light on this, he's just going to be another number that sits and rots in prison while we wait for the court to maybe answer him. Mm -hmm. And I felt like I needed to put someone's feet to the fire and hold someone accountable. Like, you need to take a look at his case because this is a human rights violation. So all I did was just try to shine a flashlight on the evidence that we filed with the court. Great question, Suze. Yeah. So so about changing the narrative, which is what we try to do on here, what do you want people to do to help you change the narrative? Well, in terms of specifically Leonard's case, a great start would be reading our petition at change.org slash free Leonard Coleman and adding a signature and comment 
Also, I have information on our Instagram page as to how to write a letter to the judge overseeing the case, the assistant DA overseeing the case, in case anyone would like to write a letter supporting Leonard's release, laws that were broken, his Sixth Amendment rights were violated, anyone that wants to oppose wrongful convictions and their effects on families and society. I would encourage people to share on your own social media platforms. And if you have a magazine publication or news publication, please, you know, get the story of this corruption out there and just be open that not everyone sitting in prison is there because they actually committed a crime. You know, that I feel like all of our collective voices together can make a difference, not just for my husband, but for others as well. So that's great. Great place to end. I think it's been proven far too many times that there are innocent people in prison. That's why I thought it was important for you to come on and tell your story and just start to offer different perspectives and experiences because we don't all share the same one. So thank you so much for coming on today. I really do appreciate it. And we'll be following this case and would love to have you back on to hear the progress because I have a feeling you're going to make a breakthrough. That would be wonderful. And I just appreciate this opportunity so much. Excellent. Thanks again. Bye. JD and I want to thank our fabulous producers at I Am Music Group. And for all of you out there who want to do your own podcast, go to IamMusicGroup.com and the team will hit you back. And also leave us a review. Let us know what you think. Thank you for listening to Change the Narrative with JD Fuller.